Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode is brought to you by alienware during dell tech fest score game-changing innovations with limited time deals on select next-gen alienware gaming tech new dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the alienware m18 laptop powered by an intel core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals liquid cooling three-dimensional audio with dolby atmos and impressive overclocking potential your dream setup amazing prices and free shipping await you for a limited time only at alienware dot com slash deals that's alienware.com slash deals hey sarah i love that spring break vlog you posted on zigazoo omg you watched it yeah it was so cool i think you're so talented social media is only positive with zigazoo the world's largest and safest social media network for kids in zigazoo all community members are verified kids like yours and all content is fully human moderated Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noam. They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul Big Apple Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Today, we're going to talk uh, about a company called Google, commonly known as Google. That's its street name. That's it's such a popular name that it's become a verb in American English. Uh, they have a parent company, you could call it the real company, which is known as Alphabet. And we've talked about this a little bit in the past, uh, but we want to, whenever we mention Google, establish that from the jump at the top because it's strange how relatively obscure that fact remains. Now, while Google, Alphabet, whatever you want to call it, may not be the largest company in the world in terms of capital or territory or material possessions, it is undoubtedly one of the most influential organizations on the planet, at least in terms of its connection to human beings or the ways in which it influences networks or organizations or webs of human beings. Most people on this planet Literally, most people 
think about that, have heard of Google, even if they have somehow not directly interacted with it. And arguably, on a slightly more controversial note, most people have in some way, to some degree, been affected by the actions of the U.S. military, whether that's something that happened generations ago in their own country or an adjacent country or to an ancestor, or whether something is happening to them now as we record this episode. And so today begins with a question, spoiler alert, it also ends with a question, and our beginning question is this. What happens when these groups, Google, Alphabet, whatever you want to call it, and the U.S. military or Uncle Sam, what happens when they join forces? Because they have. <laughs> so <laughs> they they have Voltron up and they have Voltron up in a, again, controversial way. Uh, it involves unmanned aerial systems also known as drones. These are the ones that like de deliver your Amazon packages, right? Yeah, and some variation of mm -hmm. them, yeah. Uh, they're commonly called drones, of course, but unmanned aerial vehicles or UAVs have been a long-running trope in science fiction. And surprisingly, for many people, some version of this technology existed long before the modern day. There wasn't a uh, history-rattling moment when the first drone ever went airborne. And that's in large part because it's very difficult for us to isolate exactly when the early version of an invention ends and the first modern versions begin. Matt, uh, when you and I worked on the invention show Stuff of Genius, we ran into this pretty often. Somebody comes up with a rough approximation of an idea and then over a course of years, decades, or even centuries in some cases, people continually make small improvements until it becomes the thing we know. Most inventions are not a uh, eureka moment in reality. I mean, they may be a eureka moment in terms of the idea or the epiphany, but most inventions in reality, when we get to the hardware phases, are going to be um, created by people standing on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, it ends up being the person who makes it marketable rather than just creates it. Oh, good call. And a very sad and capitalist call, right? It's yeah. the person who popularizes it. Mm -hmm. So if we look at the first modern version of a drone, an unmanned vehicle, would it be one of those bombs in the 1800s that was strapped to a balloon and then just sort of put off like something bad will happen. We can't steer it. There wasn't a person on that and it was being used as a weapon or was it the initial V-1 rockets that Germany deployed during World War II? In the early 1900s, military groups did use drones. They had radio-controlled versions that were just for target practice. Engineers developed unmanned aircraft that, again, had munitions of some sort. These weren't drones the way we think of them in the current age, uh, but there's, you know, there are other examples like uh, cruise missiles. These things were the first cruise missiles, often called flying torpedoes. They were not meant to return to base. And drones are meant to function like very, very smart, sometimes very, very deadly boomerangs. They come out, they come back, and somebody claps. Yeah. Generally not the people being targeted. Generally, yes, yes, generally not. You are correct, my friend. During the Cold War and the Vietnam War, or the series of conflicts collectively known as the Vietnam War here in the U.S., Uncle Sam 
ramped up research on drones. It was no longer just an interesting idea posed by a few eccentric scientists and engineers. In fact, by the time of the Vietnam War, unmanned drones flew thousands of high-risk reconnaissance missions, and they got shot down all the time. But in that process, they saved the lives of human pilots who otherwise would have been aboard. And I, I thought about uh, I thought about you, Matt, when I was looking into this because another precedent for drones, which we won't go into in this episode, but another precedent for drones uh, were weaponized bats. Did you ever hear about this? I the ones that drop yeah. the little bombs? Yeah. Well, yes, that's a version of it. Yeah. They said bats can fly. We have access to them. Well, yeah. I mean, you could go back to carrier pigeons as being mm. a type of drone as well. Yeah. I mean, there's not a person aboard. There's a really cool episode of the podcast, The Memory Palace, about the the bats. Uh, it's called Itty Bitty Bombs. It's it's quite nice. good. Yeah. So, nice. Yeah. So check that one out for more information. Around the same time, Vietnam War, it goes this far back, around the same time of the Vietnam War, engineers started adding real-time surveillance ability to drones, so cameras, right? Today, we look at, I guess the closest thing we have to a military version of the first drone would be the MQ-1 Predator. It was first unveiled in 1995 which is weird when you think about it because that was such a long time ago. And in 2002, the CIA used uh, the MQ-1 Predator to make its first successful kill of a quote-unquote enemy combatant in Afghanistan. Since then, since just 2002, this technology has grown by cartoonishly extreme leaps and bounds, and it's currently on the bleeding edge of scientific advancement. Yeah, and if that MQ-1 Predator drone, that's the drone that you have seen before. That's the one that is in pictures all over the place. That is the, I mean, I guess being one of the first, it just became iconic in that way. Just going to want to throw that in there. Yeah, it looks like a, a windowless commercial plane with an upside-down tail fin, right? A, a, a two upside-down tail fins. Yeah, it's got a, the shape is slightly Slightly odd, but yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And as these drones become more and more common in theaters of war or in commercial industries like Amazon using them or recreational use, like you buy a you buy a loved one one as a gift, uh, they're also doing the inorganic version of speciating. You know, speciating is when a relatively common ancestor, through generations and generations, produces. Uh, different species of the same template, right? So these drones are becoming increasingly specialized. They have varying ranges of abilities. And, and odds are you've seen one, right? We've all seen toy drones. The little quadcopter guys, yeah. right? And you got to wonder too, like how does that work patent-wise? Like did someone come up with that design and it was just it's generic enough to be copied? Like, I'm, I'm, I always wonder about things like that, like the fidget spinner. Like, did that guy just do a bad job of patenting the original fidget spinner, or is it so generic that that doesn't even apply? I'm wondering that, that th same thing about the design of Ooh. those quadcopter toy drones. Entirely speculative, but it's probably, at the very least, a series of patents. Yeah. They, they have to have multiple things in play, I would imagine. Pro tip, speaking of at play, if you're going to get one of those for your kids, get a good one, because the cheap ones, you might think you got a deal, they just don't fly. They suck. Yeah, and, they, money. and they're uh, they're battery vampires too. Oh my god, that was the thing. Like we got one, and it, like oh, it flies for about four minutes. Four minutes, like that's not fun. Tops, tops. Yeah, <laughs> but what kind of uh, batteries do the the big boys use? Are they uh, fueled, or are they? Do you know? 
That's classified. Yeah, sorry. We can't talk about you that. You can't tell me? No. I thought we were pals. Google it. All right. Oh. <laughs> see what you did there. Yeah, so uh, some of the – on a serious note, some of those power systems would vary. Uh, and by the time we dive into one and this episode comes out, it may have changed. Interesting. That's how quickly they're moving on these. So we've seen these, right? And we've probably seen photographs or videos of the larger cousins of these tiny drones, things like the Predator, like Matt just described. You can you can find a photograph of it pretty easily. The differences are stark and astonishing. And missiles are not the biggest difference. The fact that they're weaponized, while that is incredibly dangerous – uh, possibly fatal, that is not the biggest difference. Some of the bigger differences are going to be on the inside of the drone. We're talking things like GPS, real-time satellite feeds, super complex microprocessors, and more. They're putting brains on board of these things. And perhaps most disturbingly, some drones are edging closer and closer and closer to what's commonly known as artificial intelligence or, or technically known as machine consciousness. And we're close to uh, an old science fiction question becoming a real question. Will the first true artificial intelligence, the first true machine consciousness, be a weapon of war? Yes. Highly likely. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> why, is, why is that, Matt? That's because innovation through the military is one of the ways that innovations occur. The biggest innovations and inventions occur because there's funding from a military somewhere. Mm -hmm. And it's not like it's the military itself doing these things. It is usually a private company or someone who's being given a grant, a government grant to do it. We see this time and time again with many of the stories that we've talked about where the military is also always like decades ahead of like what consumers will ever get their hands on. Mm -hmm. And it might be 10, 20 years before it trickles down into the public where maybe we can have a you know, terabyte thumb drive just to – as a silly example yeah. where they've had that technology probably for a decade at this point. I would say the only way for it – not for the first machine consciousness, true machine consciousness, and to not be a weapon is for every private company on the planet to say, I'm not going to do that. Right. Yeah. For <laughs> us all, kumbaya and do yep. some hands across America on the tech sphere, right? Or hands across the world. Mm -hmm. So with, the, with this in mind, we're also hitting on a larger phenomenon that's Kind of, kind of unfortunate. We're we're a family show, but we also endeavor at our best to be an honest one. Uh, the great leaps in technology are all, not almost always, but the majority of the time, the great leaps in technology are driven by human vices: a desire to win a war, uh, a desire to have more, you know, social attention or more financial access than a rival. Or uh, how do we compress yeah. all of this porn? Right. That's the other one. That's the third one, a desire for lust. Because in a very, very real and concrete and provable way, pornography is the reason that uh, you or your parents had a VHS instead of a Betamax. Uh, it's the reason – like we talked about this I think previously. Yes. Yeah. So often, we all too often, we as a species are driven by uh, non-noble – motivations. 
But that doesn't mean that we're not smart. We are a jar of very, very smart, very belligerent cookies. And we've been putting some of the smartest cookies of our species into the search for artificial intelligence and machine learning, a search that continues as we record this episode. So just a little while ago in July of 2017, there were these two researchers named Greg Allen and Daniel Chan. And they published a study which was called Artificial Intelligence and National Security. And in this, they put forward goals for developing law, policies specifically that would um, that would put ideas forth in how do you deal with AI when it comes to national security, military spending. Like what should we as a species do when it comes to these two things colliding? And here are some of their findings. They, they again said the most transformative innovations in the field of AI are coming from the private sector and academic world, not from the government and military. So currently, mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. AI is something that's happening outside of the realm of the military, which in July 2017, yay, that's a good thing, maybe, because, you know, there could be some nefarious private sector uh, humans as well. But that's that's point A. The second one is that the current capabilities of AI have, quote, significant potential for national security, especially in the areas of cyber defense and satellite imagery analysis. And then the last thing, I'm just going to read this whole thing as a quote, future progress in AI has the potential to be a transformative national security technology on par with nuclear weapons, aircraft, computers, and biotech. So some of the most influential technologies on, on weaponry, on mm-hmm. war, mm-hmm. Uh, they're saying AI is going to be the next big thing. Oof. And they're not just talking the talk, right? No, they are not just talking the talk uh, at all. Um, according to the Wall Street Journal – the Defense Department spent $7.4 billion on artificial intelligence-related areas in 2017. $7.4 billion on AI. And, you know, not to not to harp too much on Eisenhower, but I believe he's the one who had a quote that said, every, every rocket the U.S. builds represents this many schools that we could have built but didn't. Yeah. Uh, and there, there are a couple of things, if we're being entirely fair, about that number that we have to acknowledge. First is that this is only the money we know of. So $7.4 billion, let's call that an at least number, right? And then on the other end, artificial intelligence-related areas, that doesn't mean they're just building a uh, silicon brain, right? There are uh, many other things that we might not associate directly with machine intelligence that maybe function as support or infrastructure. Hmm. So this is all – this is the whole meal. This isn't just the hamburger. Yeah. Well, and we agreed. <laughs> we should especially point out that the Department of Defense budget for for fiscal year 2017 mm-hmm. was $540 billion around that number. Yeah. Still the biggest in the world. Yeah. And it's publicly acknowledged. Again, I can't keep saying that enough. Mm-hmm. Publicly acknowledged. Yeah, nope. That's, that's yeah. what they ask Congress for. Yes, it's true. Before I derail us, uh, what do you think? Should we pause for a word from our sponsor? That seems wise. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. Oh, <laughs> 
I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. Oh, my friends love it. I love that it's KidSafe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March. And ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hey guys, Mario Lopez here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit biotoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Here's where it gets crazy. We've painted a, a little bit of the picture, right? We we know the story now, fellow conspiracy realist. It is a story of drones. It is a story of private industry. It is a story of government interaction, a story of war, and a story of secrets. But in this age of instantaneous information, we know more than we would have known, say, even two decades ago. We know more about what's happening now, similar to the drones acquiring real-time surveillance technology, we are able to be more aware of surroundings in a distant land. And that's how we know about something called uh, – what, what's it called, Matt? It's the Algorithmic Warfare Cross-Functional Team, also known as Project MAVEN. 
And this was announced on April 26th of 2017 in a, an internal memo uh, from the um, Deputy Secretary of Defense, Robert Bob O. Work. Yeah. Bobo. <laughs> he goes by Bob Work, uh, but I, I just call him thought Bobo. Was, yeah, Bobo Work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess we can just read parts of this memo if you want to. It's kind of hard to digest. That's the only thing. So maybe if we, maybe we walk um, through parts break of it, it down, and then humanize it. Yes, let's, let's <laughs> do that. Let's do that. Here we go. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be the dry <laughs> the dry part here. Here we go. The AWCFT's first task is to field technology to augment or automate processing, exploitation, and dissemination for tactical unmanned aerial systems. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> good God. <laughs> Let's keep going a little bit. So, okay. So, it's going to augment or automate stuff for UAVs or drones and mid-altitude full-motion video in support of the Defeat ISIS campa- campaign and this will help to reduce the human factor's burden of full motion video analysis, increase actionable intelligence, and enhance military decision making. So what that all means is the PED, processing, exploitation, and dissemination, uh, means that they're hoping, again, to get a brain on board, your local neighborhood predator or whatever drone they end up using by the time you are listening to this episode, and the processing part is going to be the analysis, which often would be a the human part of the equation. The exploitation would be the ability to take action on that analysis, right, to use that knowledge. And dissemination would be sharing the information, determining what information is relevant, what is irrelevant, and what to send where. That's PED. And that's uh, the full motion video is similar to the same thing because it's it's a little bit easier to take a bunch of numbers that are sensed, a bunch of temperature variables for instance, and tell a computer or an automated system that whatever is within this range, do action X. Whatever is outside of this range, do action Y, you know? Even if the action is just – alert the human user or the person that's going to actually analyze the thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's tougher with video, right? Because there are many, many more factors at play. Would you say that sounds correct? Absolutely. It just depends on what kind of sensors they're using on the drones. If it's, you know, is it a heat-based imaging system? Is it just a, you know, I mean, what, what, what are you looking at essentially? What is the data that you're looking at? And that's really hard to tell because it's going to change depending on the model of drone and what they're, you know, deploying. Uh, the really interesting – one of the really interesting things here mm-hmm. in my mind is that, you know, we're talking about a single drone and having an onboard system. But they're also talking about having a system that can analyze the footage from all the drones that they have deployed in a single space and then be have the machine be able to take all that data in and tell you what's going on. And then send that whatever they whatever the uh, algorithm decides needs to happen. Disseminate all of that information out to the entire team that's also there. Um, so you really have that. Uh, one of the things we talked about recently in another episode: a full scope picture of the battlefield, mm-hmm. essentially. So everyone at all times sees exactly what's happening on the battlefield, as close to an omniscient observer as possible. Yeah, as well, we used to say humanly possible, <laughs> but that's no longer the case, right? Yeah, exactly. 
So let's keep going on here a little bit with what the memo said. Um, this program will initially provide computer vision algorithms for object detection, classification, and alerts for full motion video PED. Further sprints will incorporate more advanced computer vision technology after successful sprints in support of intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance. Uh, the This program will prioritize the integration of similar technologies into other defense intelligence mission areas. So it's not just for this single drone operation that they're going to deploy it to. It's going to be for bigger things. Hmm. It goes on to say this program will also consolidate existing algorithm-based technology initiatives related to mission areas of the defense intelligence enterprise. <coughs> or die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> including all initiatives that develop, employ, or field artificial intelligence, automation, machine learning, deep learning, and computer vision algorithms. So really they're talking about everything in Be the future for, for military applications. So beyond, far beyond drones. Oh, yes. These could also be submarines, for instance. These could be satellites. These could be uh, space shuttles. It could be surveillance, just video camera surveillance oh. that's just on the ground even. Right, yeah. You know? Is this the kind of stuff where uh, eventually you could program a drone or some kind of killing machine with parameters um, that are like legally sanctioned and you can say, okay, search and destroy X target or this type of target. That's the fear. The potential yeah. is there. The potential is there. Absolutely. So essentially what what they're saying here is that DARPA and the Pentagon have already poured tons of money into this automated collection of data. And they're not alone. Other members of the Alphabet Soup gang, which yes. is a, a very endearing name for them. It's like the Apple Dumpling gang. Right. The Alphabet Soup gang uh, as other members, of course, NSA and so on. They have also – put forth tons of money and time into automating the collection of data and the next step is disco is discovering a means of automating the analysis of data and the step after that the especially spooky one is enabling these unmanned machines to immediately act in real time on the results of their onboard analyses so to the question you posed Noel the answer would be yes they want to have at least the capability to make a judge, jury, and executioner on an unmanned vehicle. This doesn't mean they'll do it. A lot of tech companies do have problems with it or at least with actualizing that potential. Yeah. We even see problems with the uh, self-driving cars. I mean, as, as much as much R&D as have gone into those, they're certainly not infallible and they get into fender benders and make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, let's let's just have one more little quote here, and this is from the chief in charge of this algorithmic warfare cross-function team or Project Maven, and he's speaking specifically to what they hope to achieve in the near term with this project. Um, and he says, quote, people and computers will work symbiotically to increase the ability of weapon systems to detect objects. Eventually, we hope that one analyst will be able to do twice as much work potentially three times as much as they're doing now. That's our goal. So in the short term, somebody, you know, sat down with him, had a meeting, and we want to increase <laughs> just basically what our analysts can get done. And we're going to save money on that end. We're going to save time and we're going to be more efficient. That's what this whole project is about, at least in his eyes or in his, uh, his PR <laughs> thing that he got to say. 
So what we're talking about with this project so far is just what it means to achieve, what it wants to achieve. We haven't discussed how it was going to achieve all of this. And that is where we have our friend, Google. Yes, Google. Google is nobody's friend. If Google was an ice cream flavor, it'd be pralines and Google. Yes. Oh, I can't say that word on the podcast. Every time you say Project Maven, I think it's Project Mayhem. Yeah. Slightly different. So we we know here that both the Defense Department and Alphabet and Google are saying that this collaboration, them working together in any way on this at all, is all about AI-assisted analysis of drone footage. That is that is what they're saying. Mm-hmm. That is the party line on both sides. The, the PR that's put forth is everything's cool. We're just working on looking at video, guys. It's cool. Right, right. Uh, uh, specifically through something called TensorFlow AI. Yeah, uh, Noel, you uh, you looked into this, right? What what is TensorFlow AI? This is from the website of TensorFlow. Uh, Trademark. I'm going to do it like I'm doing an ad read. TensorFlow is an open source software library for high performance numerical computation. Its flexible architecture allows easy deployment of computation across a variety of platforms CPUs, GPUs, TPUs, and from desktops to clusters of servers to mobile and edge devices. Originally developed by researchers and engineers from the Google Brain team within Google's AI organization, it comes with strong support for machine learning and deep learning, and the flexible numerical computation core is used across many other scientific domains. Yep. That one? Yeah, that's the one. Mm-hmm. No, seriously, <laughs> TensorFlow can actually feel kind of like totally future science fiction kind of stuff um, for people who are not already familiar with how machine learning works. But there's some pretty awesome introductions, primers out there if you would like to learn more. There's a particular YouTube video. Yeah, it's about a 45-minute <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, essentially a lecture on, on how it functions. But it's it's good. It's interesting. I, it's yeah. over my head. And the cool thing, when I found that one, the cool thing about that guy is he's, if you watch the video, he says if you have any questions, you can email him directly. Oh, my gosh. I Wait, don't, really? Yeah, I don't know if he knew that his email address was going out on YouTube. But he oh. seemed pretty approachable. And that video is on the Coding Tech YouTube page, and it's called TensorFlow 101. Really awesome intro into TensorFlow. Super awesome. But yeah, but 45 minutes is probably about the shallowest deep dive you're going to get into the subject. Yeah. And I mean, I mean that as a glowing endorsement of the quality of this, uh, this walkthrough. Yeah. So, so what exactly has TensorFlow done so far? So in the research for this show, we, we came across an open letter that was written from the International Committee for Robot Arms Control. And they go into just some of the details of exactly – what is happening here, the the collaboration between Google and the defense department. So let's kind of look at this. Um, They were looking at an article from Defense One in which they note that the Joint Special Operations Forces, um, they've conducted trials already using video footage from this other smaller uh, UAV called uh, Scan Eagle. It's a specific surveillance drone. Mm -hmm. And the project is also slated to to expand to even, quote, larger medium-altitude Predator and Reaper drones by next summer. So the, these are the ones we spoke about in the beginning. These are the ones that are actively functioning in Syria and Afghanistan and other in Iraq and other places like that. Um, and eventually to this thing called Gorgon Stare, which sounds amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Sounds scary. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and it this, turns you to stone? 
<laughs> it, it might. Um, so this is these are specific sensors, and te- it's a technology package that's been then it's been used on these MQ nine Reapers, which is just the newest new iteration. Yeah, yeah, and man, it sounds really scary. But you can learn more about this right now if you search for Gorgon, G-O-R-G-O-N, Stare, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe Drone or Predator. That's probably the best way to look into it. And there's all kinds of uh, information that's been officially released on this program already. So, okay, so so we know that this thing's been used in these smaller projects. Now it's going to be moved on to these Predator and Reaper drones. And they're thinking that it's going to get expanded even further. And I don't even, we don't even know what that expansion could be at this point because the, the drone technology is growing. It's just a lot of it is classified. Right. Yeah. A lot of it is classified. And as we established earlier in the episode, that's really common. In fact, a a lot of it will probably be classified for a number of years. Yeah. If you think about it this way, so the Gorgon stare it can allegedly, and I just say this because I haven't actually seen it, but it it uses a high tech series of cameras that can quote view entire towns, like what, like uh, Google Earth style, like yes, that kind active, of zoom, yeah, okay, active running, looking at an entire town. Then if you apply this machine learning to it, and you can see every human being walking around, and then the technology gets more and more powerful, then you could really just have a complete surveillance state from Ooh, above, yeah. Well, that's that's pretty scary. Like you can see them in their homes. Does it have some kind of like heat vision that works from afar? That's a great question that know. I don't know the we answer know. to. Yeah. Um, I certainly hope not. Maybe it would be good for a military application, but uh, that's terrifying. But that's the problem, right? Like you can't put this stuff back in the box. Like even if it starts off as a military application, it's going to eventually get in the hands of, of – not not to say that the military has our best interests at mm. heart at all at all times, but mm-hmm. it's, it could make its way into a uh, a more nefarious use. If we were to put a, a list of all the technologies that expanded past their intended use on one side, and a list of all the technologies that people agreed not to pursue on the other side, mm-hmm. would, one list would be very very long. Uh, I I mean we for a. Species that loses cities and even entire civilizations, we're pretty good at finding and replicating technology and we don't like to lose it. We did an earlier episode on things like uh, so-called Damascus steel or Greek fire. But looking in that, it was very difficult for us to find examples of technology that was truly lost in the modern day. Once Pandora's uh, jar is unscrewed, then the it's Katie bar the door, yeah. which is yeah. an anachronistic statement I heard. God forbid <laughs> those badgers get out of that bag because right. they will eat you alive. And you can't get them back in. No, man. Well, well, here's the thing. The badgers with this project, badgers in the bag, they don't even know where the other one is right now. Mm-hmm. They're so far gone from each other mm. because it, this is where you get into the whole targeted killing thing that was really big in what – uh, 2007, 2008, as we got on through um, the Obama administration, mm-hmm. where drones were being used more and more to target mostly males. And males were considered, if you're of a certain age, you could kind of prove that this male was of a certain age. Even from a drone, that person would be considered an enemy combatant in certain aspects or in certain ways. And if you're using these algorithms to just figure out, you know, if you can just figure out it's a male 
in in you know above a certain age, mm-hmm. then that's what Google is helping them do: is figure out how to kill people from afar that are males of a certain age. Right, and this goes into a uh, quotation that you found, Matt, that uh, gave me some chills. Oh yeah, a quote from Eric Schmidt, who was who up until. Last year, or the end of last mm-hmm. year, he was the executive chairman at Google and Alphabet. And um, he says, there's a general concern in the tech community of somehow the military-industrial complex using their stuff to kill people incorrectly. Hold on there. How do you kill people incorrectly? That's, that's what – way of doing it. Yeah, that's what gave me chills, uh, Matt, when you, you and I were originally talking about this, the idea of killing people incorrectly. The implication there is frightening. Because Schmidt is jumping straight across and, and completely sidelining the recognition that maybe the tech community doesn't want to kill people in general. Is that mm. just linguistic jujitsu kind of? It's a bit. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It's a bit. And, and that – just so you know, that was a quote from a keynote address he was giving at the New American Security, Artificial Intelligence, and Global Security mm. Summit. Right before the uh, panel on how to correctly kill people. <laughs> yeah, it was in November of 2017. Yeah, it was right before that panel. <laughs> you shoot him in the face. Ugh. That's how you do it. Jeez. And make eye contact. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So the the situation then seems on the cusp of something, a rapid evolution, perhaps an evolution that's already occurring. And we've talked about the motivations of the military. We've talked about the technical aspects. We've talked about what the suits and the generals want. But what about the employees? What about the people who are actually doing the work? As we know, often those are the people who are the most ignored. A lot of them bucked, right? Yes, and we'll learn about that right after a quick break. Ooh. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. There's plenty to celebrate in March and Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. 
The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moon roof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. So to bring the focus on the employees, the ones who are actually out there writing the code that, you know, many times they probably won't get credit for. Uh, we need to look at their own internal activism. See, Google and Alphabet employees were well aware of these moves far before the official announcement, way before 2017. Of course, they know this stuff is happening because they're working on things like this behind the scenes. Might be compartmentalized, but they're working on things sure. that they can, you know, employees talk. Sure. Uh, for instance, do you remember that uh, terrible sci-fi series, The Cube? Do you guys remember I do. That? The movie? Mm-hmm. There, th- I think yeah. there are three. There was one of them was Hypercube. I remember that. Mm. I liked the first one though. I, I quite enjoyed it. But yeah, it's 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 schlock, but it's it's fun. But the the thing about it is, it's a bit of a, mm, a cautionary tale because the premise of the cube. Spoiler alert: is that a bunch of different experts were paid to research and construct specific components of what would later become this death trap, and they didn't know that what they were building would be used in this certain way. They thought they were just making heat sensors. Right. They thought they were just making hatches. Uh, they thought they were just making lasers. Yeah, yeah. laser grids. You know, <laughs> yeah. for, like the first scene, the guy actually gets cubed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By a laser grid. Mm-hmm. Oh, how I In a cube. In a cube. That's pretty meta. And the thing, too, about that is, like, is it just for funsies? Like, you don't really know, like, why why are they in there? Is this just some, like, rich a-hole that's just trying to, like, you know. You got to watch the have, movie have to a laugh. find out. You don't find out, though. Yeah, you will. Oh, really? You got to keep going. You got to keep, how, how far, how far, how deep does some, this rabbit hole, this rabbit cube go, my friend? Well, somebody's going to make another one and we're going to find out. You think so? The definitive yeah. one? Sure. It'll probably be a prequel or something. That's mm-hmm. cool. You can also, you know, I'm sure read spoilers on the wiki or mm-hmm. on the online in a forum somewhere. But luckily, at least for their own ethical well-being or their ability to sleep at night, uh, the many of the Google and Alphabet employees were able to communicate with each other. They were aware of 
the implications of what would happen mm-hmm. if all this stuff was assembled together like the Avengers or uh, Captain Planet and the Planeteers. So they took action. First, they gathered to write an internal petition requesting the organization pull away from this agreement with Uncle Sam. Petitions, it should be said, are not inherently unusual at Google, but this one was particularly important and particularly crucial to the future of the company because first, it was created with the knowledge that this program, this cooperation with Project Maven, is only a very small baby step in what management hopes will be a long, elaborate staircase, a much larger series of cooperations. You see, Maven is not a one-off thing. It's not its own it's not its own centerpiece. It is a pilot program. It is uh, taking a concept and running it around the block to see how it drives. Secondly, Google employees believe that this project is symptomatic of what they see as a larger and growing problem in Google. They say the company is becoming less and less transparent across all all facets, public-facing, government-facing, employee-facing, user-facing, and they've even shed their old famous motto, don't be evil. Yeah, but now if you go to, let's see, the google.com slash about our company slash our dash company, it says uh, this is what their mission statement is now. Quote, organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. And maybe be a little evil if needed. I don't see that written anywhere here. I think it's implied. I think uh, getting rid of that uh, original mission statement and uh, getting into these kind of deals implies such things. Mm -hmm. They do have a – on their code of conduct, uh, they made some changes that have have a wonky timeline about them too because there's there's an article on Gizmodo by Kate Conger wherein the author finds the section of the old code of conduct that was archived by the Wayback Machine on, and listen to this date carefully, April 21st, 2018. That still has all the don't be evil mentions in there, right? And then the updated version that was first archived on May 4th, 2018, took out all but one of those mentions of don't be evil – And the code of conduct itself says it has not been updated since April 5th of 2018. So the timeline doesn't match up. User error? Possibly. Hmm. Possibly. Wayback Machine, what you doing over there? Yeah. Did they get to you, Wayback Machine? (laughs) Regardless of, you know, whether you feel that this is just a a series of unconnected dots being forced into a, a larger perceived pattern whether you think people are practicing confirmation bias or whether there really is something rotten there in Silicon Valley. The fact of the matter is you can read the full text of the petition online and find out what the Google employees themselves thought. Uh, We have a few highlights here. We cannot, they say in the petition, outsource the moral responsibility of our technologies to third parties. Google's stated values make this clear. Every one of our users is trusting us. Never jeopardize that, ever. This contract, referring to Maven, 
puts Google's reputation at risk and stands in direct opposition to our core values. Building this technology to assist the U.S. government in military surveillance and potentially lethal outcomes is not acceptable. Recognizing Google's moral and ethical responsibility and the threat to Google's reputation, we request that you cancel this project immediately, draft, publicize, and enforce a clear policy stating that neither Google nor its contractors will ever be build warfare technology. And a writer for Engadget actually reached out to Google um, and they were provided with the following statement. Um, Quote, an important part of our culture is having employees who are actively engaged in the work that we do. We know that there are many open questions involved in the use of new technologies, so these conversations with employees and outside experts are hugely important and beneficial. Maven is a well-publicized DOD project, and Google is working on one part of it, specifically scoped to be for non-offensive purposes and using open-source object recognition software available to any Google Cloud customer. The models are based on unclassified data only. The technology is used to flag images for human review and is intended to save lives and save people from having to do highly tedious work. I'm just going to finish it because I think it's worth it. Any military use of machine learning naturally raises valid concerns. We're actively engaged across the company in a comprehensive discussion of this important topic and also with outside experts as we continue to develop our policies around the development and use of our machine learning technologies. So basically, we're going to keep making this project. Mm-hmm. Sorry, guys. Yeah, but it's cool. But it's okay. Because we're going to have a quote-unquote healthy conversation about it. Here's what happens next. As you said, Matt, Google refuses to back away from this project. Mm-hmm. They're still going to go through. Uh, Noel, as, uh, from, as we can glean from the statement you read, they say it is going to be nonviolent. And there's no uh, spooky stuff going on. It's all unclassified. Over 3,000 engineers signed this petition and a dozen resigned. Mm -hmm. More may resign in the future. This resignation wave is happening as we record this and it's due to a coldly fascinating moral quandary. It's this. How responsible are these engineers for the applications of their inventions? Is, for example, the creator of the Winchester repeating rifle guilty for the deaths caused by that weapon? His wife thought so, and that's why she built a crazy mansion out west, which we still, believe it or not, have never visited. Oh, man, I really want to go. Yeah, I think we should absolutely go. Paul, would you go with us if we if we go to the Winchester mansion? We got a, we got an ardent thumbs up from him. Nice. Big old thumb. Paul's got some, some beefy thumbs. Yeah, you go into all the rooms first, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> It's just a test for traps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but um, yeah. it, or like Oppenheimer, right? He he was uh, famously had serious qualms about mm. the way his technology was used in terms of being weapons of mass destruction. And Einstein also tortured by the he didn't he didn't build a physical thing, but yeah. he was tortured by the idea that his his own realizations yes. had led to this. So with this in mind, if an engineer builds software for the purpose of, say, more efficiently delivering payloads to locations in near-Earth orbit, and that same software is later used to deliver payloads of bombs to people that the drone's owners don't care for, is that engineer then responsible for the ensuing damage and or death? It's a quandary that a lot of people are having a hard time answering. To go back, uh, Noel, to something you mentioned earlier about the dilemmas of autonomous vehicles, one one of the current 
nigh unanswerable questions, or at least one that hasn't been answered yet, is what happens if there is an imminent accident that's going to occur and you're in an autonomous vehicle. Does the vehicle swerve and hit a pedestrian? Does it prioritize the person in the vehicle, their life, over the life of a, of a person who deserves to live just as much but happens not to be in the vehicle? And if so, who is responsible? Is it the person who is in the vehicle for not taking control if they could? Right. Is it the company that manufactured the vehicle? Is it the engineer who made the software that made the vehicle make that choice? The trolley problem, uh, the old thought exercise, becomes increasingly concrete, increasingly dangerous, and increasingly complicated. And frankly, we're not equipped to answer it at this point. No. It's, 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 a, it's, utter, it's an utter conundrum. Because what – you know, to be that programmer who gets to make that decision, you're essentially playing God, aren't you? It's like what life is more valuable? Mm-hmm. You know, is it our customer or is it the pedestrian? There's really right. no way of properly answering that without making a serious judgment call, a hard and fast choice. Right. Yeah, you could bake in something where it's just a absolute calculation of the number of lives. So, for instance, in that case, if there is a, a crowd of – uh, five people who are gathered for their um, Paul Deccant fan club meeting, which inexplicably takes place on the sidewalk by a, by a busy road. Uh, if those five people are gathered for that meeting and there's only one person in the car, does the car say, okay, we'll just pop the airbags and hope this one person survives, but we're not going to kill five people for one? And then what if what if the there are two people in that car and one of them is pregnant? And what if the five people on the sidewalk celebrating with the Paul Deccan fan club, what if they're all in their 70s, right? And past reproductive age, generally speaking. You know what I mean? This this is the kind of stuff that we have not yet, as far as we know, learn to program yeah. for. Then before you know it, you've got, you know, power-hungry cars mowing down old ladies mm-hmm. because they've, you know, they've, they've lived their life. They're expendable. But like, what, what about a school bus? Does a school bus, uh, based on the number of kids it has, does that have just immunity to always prioritize the children on the bus? It's very politically difficult to argue against that. Ooh, man. Yeah, Matt leaned back for that oof. <laughs> well, yeah, because what happens when a public bus and then a school bus are both operating and there's a crash imminent? I don't know. Because on Marta, most of the buses are empty. Ooh, shade. It's true. It's true. What about the streetcars? <laughs> the streetcars. We <laughs> didn't even talk about those. Oh, even boy. emptier. Even emptier. Even the empty. emptiest. There's not, yeah. even, there's not even a, a driver. Yeah. yeah. At this point, the Marta buses are just hopping on the trolleys. This is some serious <laughs> Atlanta inside baseball right now. It is. It is true. Learn about our public infrastructure debacles. We're working on it. We're doing our best. Yes. Yeah. It's going to be called – it's going to be rebranded to the ATL. Whoa. Because that's cool. Yeah. Nothing weird about that. <laughs> Nothing right. forced about that, right? So Google is unfazed. They're not only going to continue this project, which we should also say is not super, super big. It's – publicly described as being worth a minimum of $9 million. That's a lot of money to normal people. That's not a lot of money to Google. Mm -mm. Uh, But they are vying for additional projects within this military space, and this is not unprecedented. IBM has a longstanding relationship with the U.S. military on a number of fronts, and also cough, cough, Nazi Germany. Cough, cough. Yes, 
Did you guys know that Hugo Boss designed the Nazi uniform? Yes. I did not know that until yesterday. I was shocked. How did that? What a great PR team they must have to still be around after that. (laughs) Seriously. Well, I mean, there there were a lot of German companies that were – For sure. Volkswagen even, I think, was Mm – yeah, interesting. Uh, On an additional note, IBM itself may be drawing an ethical line. They have signaled that they will not create intelligent drones for warfare in a – blog post they had recently, uh, IBM said they're committed to the ethical and responsible advancement of AI technology and that AI or machine consciousness should be used to augment human decision making rather than replace it. So that's similar to the argument that uh, automated vehicle systems for consumers should be doing a lot of assisted driving, but there should always be a human behind the wheel. That's probably a good call, international business machines. <laughs> that's true. Oh, that's true. And, of, of course, uh, shout out to everybody who listened to our other episodes on the evolution of machine consciousness. Uh, and personally, I prefer that term to AI because what – why is it artificial? Right. Why are we so special? Yeah. Uh, and at this point, I'm just going to urge everybody to go through and read that open letter that was written by the International Committee for Robot Arms Control. There are some pretty terrifying things that they go into there, specifically about the slippery slope that Project Maven represents. Mm-hmm. So I would go and read that. You can find it. Robot Arms Control, open letter. I When, when you first showed this to me, Matt, I was – cartoonishly tickled because I originally read the title as the International Committee for Robot Arms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, did, I didn't read the control part at the end. Oh, man, it was a long day. So what do they say, though? What's, what's one thing that really stood out to you in this letter? Well, here's a quote. We are just a short step away from authorizing autonomous drones to kill automatically without human supervision or meaningful human control. Tight. That alone, just, you know, if you arm these weapons, these flying autonomous weapons mm-hmm. with the ability to make those decisions, yeah. that's a target. That's not a target. That is definitely a target. Kill. What happens if they get hacked as well? Ooh. Or if they just are just operating. Right. And someone loses control somehow. Just however. Or if they're operating independently somewhere and they have some sort of cognitive leap and they say, you know, the best way to achieve the objective is to get rid of everyone. That would almost never happen. We're talking the odds of winning the lottery eight times in a row. You're talking about like a Terminator scenario. Right. Some Skynet stuff. For now, that is still relegated to the realm of dystopian science fiction. Mm. But they do make another really great point. I just want to say here, Mm. uh, they are deeply concerned about the possible integration of Google's data, the the data that they have on everyone, on you probably. Massive data set. Integrating that with this military surveillance data and uh, combining that and applying it to this targeted killing notion. So you can Mm cross-reference. Yeah. And this this is a – you know, these aren't just some Joe Schmoes getting together and saying, hey, we need to write this letter, you guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are some serious engineers and uh, academics and people who are working in these fields saying – like raising a flag and saying, no, 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 we got to watch this. We know where this could go. Yeah. Yeah. And now we – draw this episode to a close and we don't have a solid answer or prediction. We're right here with you folks unless 
you are working directly for Project Maven, right? We don't know. No one knows where exactly we are going to paraphrase Gene Wilder and Willy Wonka. And lest we forget to mention that, you know, Google is also obviously doing some super innovative, fascinating things that are quite good for humanity, potentially. Um, They're using machine learning to develop testing software uh, that can actually find different complications related to diabetes and also um, early signs of breast cancer. And um, the FDA, according to this article from Wired, uh, is already in early stages of approving AI software that can help doctors make very important life or death medical decisions. And this is from an article called Google's new AI head is so smart. He doesn't need AI about this guy, Jeff Dean, who um, is a big part of a lot of Google's AI innovations. That's a great point because we can't, we cannot forget how large and varied Google and Alphabet as organizations are. There's Google.org as well, where you can learn about how they're using data to uncover racial injustice or building open source platforms to translate books for disadvantaged kids. It's absolutely right. I really appreciate bringing it up because they're not just this solely evil thing, right? And sometimes those aims of these, these large departments within Google may even contradict one another. And you got to think too, like an argument maybe that uh, a, a big high mucky muck at Google might make about getting involved <laughs> in something like this is like, well, if it's not us, you know, and we're, we're obviously going to handle it with um, thoughtfulness and care. Mm-hmm. If it's not us, it's going to be somebody else who might do a less good job, you know, and not think about the ramifications. So, you know, even that statement that we read earlier, it uh, it was pretty measured. I, I thought it was actually not bad. Yeah, just kill people correctly, right? <laughs> well, I, okay, you got me there, Ben. <laughs> I guess what I mean is, though, it didn't sound like pure PR. It was like, we get it. It's a, it's a thing. We understand that there is there are always consequences associated with this kind of stuff, but we're aware of them, and we feel that we're equipped to help mitigate some of that. Mm-hmm. But it's, again, it's the badger out of the bag scenario, right? It's not up to you anymore at that point. Mm-hmm. And if you would like to learn more about Project Maven specifically, please check out Tech Stuff. They have a podcast that just came out on this program. Uh, it's uh, hosted by our longtime friend, sometimes Nemesis, and Complaint Department, Jonathan Strickland, available 24-7 for any issues or criticisms you have of stuff they don't want you to know. You can reach him. He's jonathan.strickland at howstuffworks.com. He just launched a live chat kind of situation too so he can suss out your issues in real time. Yeah. 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 He'll especially, like a drone. Exactly. Like a drone. He'll especially help you out on Twitch if he's ever on there. Mm-hmm. No, let's say Google does somehow create a policy banning any and all military partnerships. Heck, let's let's go a little bit further and say that all U.S. tech companies follow their lead and do the same thing because they're industry-wide calls for everyone not to play this particular oboe. I, I mean, let's even go further and say that all tech companies in the world refuse to help the U.S. build self-aware weapons of war. You know who will continue this research? All caps, every single country that can afford it. Every single private company that does not have the same uh, moral quandaries about hypothetical scenarios, every single uh, individual that does not have those kind of quandaries, it is, again, going to happen. And and it gets worse. To the AI race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. That's a good way to put it. And uh, to paraphrase Billy Mays, but wait, it gets worse. 
we'd like to end today's episode on an ethical quandary, a question that uh, you you can feel free to suss out yourself, have a couple of couple of beers over if you drink, meditate if you do that, whatever you do to get yourself in a thoughtful headspace, and let let us know what are the implications here. What sort of machine consciousness are we creating? Are we making something that will be inherently belligerent? And if so, if the world's first machine consciousness is built to kill, how will this influence its later increasingly self-directed actions, its thoughts, its recognizations, its, its emotions, or whatever those equivalents are? You know, imagine whether there – imagine, if you would, that there were two different versions of machine consciousness. One maybe is built to uh, optimize agricultural projects in a transforming ecosystem. And the other is built to find people and annihilate them or buildings. What, what happens next? Where do they go? Do these things like the early drones, do they increasingly speciate and become uh, more attenuated? The, there's the argument that we have with, with biological entities, with human minds, and that is that, yes, people change, but they don't change in the way you think. Over time, we tend to become more concentrated versions of who we were in the beginning. Now, one could say that this is not something to be too disturbed by because uh, a human engineer could drop in and maybe incept this machine mind with a different different line of code that would alter its behavior. And maybe now it says, I'm tired of killing, right? Or I, I have new programming. But we have to consider that if we are as a species, creating minds that may one day have their own agency, as much as a human being, maybe more eventually, maybe in our lifetimes, they will have more agency and potential because they won't have the same biological hardwired limits that human beings have. What kind of minds are we building and why? You can find us on Twitter and Facebook where we're Conspiracy Stuff, Conspiracy Stuff Show on on. Uh Instagram. That's where that one is. You can find our uh, podcast and everything else at StuffTheyDon'tWantYouToKnow.com. Uh, tell us what you think. Of, like, what what kind of minds are we creating? Like Ben is speaking to. Uh, what's he- happening? Heady stuff. Heady minds. Yeah. This is uh, terrifying. Yeah. And I need to use the restroom now because I am the pee has been done scared right out of me. We better we better take care of that right now. Yeah, oh, we need as, to. as we are not AI, we 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 still have to uh, you know take care of our bodily needs. Um, but in the meantime, if you would like to um, eschew all social media internetings, you can email us directly. We are conspiracy at howstuffworks.com. dot com one eight three three s t d w i t k. Do that one.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, Sarah, I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.